I'm Pill Eater. Today is February 27th, 2023. I'm here with the lovable friend, Patrick. How are you, Patrick? Doing very well. I hope you're doing good, too. Yeah, last time we talked was, I think, a few months ago. Uh, might have been seven months ago in the summer when I was just... Because right now I just do podcasting on the Substack, BitChute, and Internet Archive because I kind of don't trust YouTube anymore and I have nowhere where the internet space is going nowadays. But um, I think both of us relate in many ways because we love talking about our te- direction and in particular uh, Eurasian futurism. So I would just like to know um, what are your opinions and thoughts of Eurasianism as the new year begins in 2023? Well, I think it's very important to uh, clarify that Eurasianism primarily refers to a cultural entity or a cultural construct, uh, and it's not explicitly uh, a racial thing, even though that can intersect with some observations that might might tie into that. So I think that that's what I, that's my personal perspective on it, and I think that Eurasian futurism is a way of um, blending. Uh, certain cultures in such a way in order to encourage a certain trajectory or direction to society. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I like the ideal of cultural energy, kind of like, I mean, I'm probably going to go the Julius Evola route and say that Julius Evola didn't think of race as a biological construct, but thought of race as a spiritual thing, if I'm understanding that. Well, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's more like, like a branding issue for like why I say that, because you just really can't have like racially explicit things like be accepted. And so I think it's better to brand it as like a cultural thing. Um, and I'm sure from that you can extrapolate, well, there's a spiritual foundation to ethnicity anyways, but it's, it's more of like a branding thing than anything. Right. I kind of understand that now. In my view right now, in particular, uh, I find Eurasian futurism as a side project to all the other arts that I'm doing. And often then and now I always have the political science types and the edgy political uh, edgelords on Twitter always asking me as I'm the grand pooba and I should know every single answer to these questions as if I'm a, a warlord of sorts. But really, I don't have answers. And mainly, I'm just reacting to empirical evidence that I see around me every day. And I've been trying to compile this information into my own kind of snarky criticism, satire, uh, art criticism, and whatever about things. However, there's no doubt in my mind that if somebody's in college and anywhere from Black studies to Asian studies, somebody is, like you said, talking about the spiritual or cultural foundation of some futurist society. Well, life is kinetic. And so people aren't supposed to have all the answers like right away, like we're just sort of on a journey. And that's why it's very important not to judge people like according to one or two statements they made or like what sort of scenes they like to like visit to. I mean, people, people are are complex and we shouldn't really necessarily be uh, too, too um, uh, condemn people too much for ideologies. They may have drifted through, or, or are currently participating in because as people we're exploratory creatures we're kinetic and we're active and we're, we're in the process of becoming and responding to things and so Eurasian futurism it's it's based on like a vibe it's based on a rejection of where uh, western culture is right now and it's based on trying to move to somewhere uh, a little bit better and it doesn't um line up exactly with the sort of uh like russian concept of eurasianism it's not like opposed to it necessarily but it's it's a different thing uh, in an american context the word civilization is a huge thing uh, people will often use it in context to western civilization and say that there's kind of these ideological attachments to it But when you say Eurasian civilization, is it referring to something that's new in development or something that has always existed prior? Uh, Both. I mean, it's always existed 
as an archetypal um, entity. Like if you think about Plato's theory of ideas, like there are these ideas that are eternal forms in the world that coexist with matter that happens to be in a state of flux. And so in terms of like the material universe, uh, Eurasian civilization and futurism is, is, is in a process of becoming, but in terms of like platonic forms or archetypes, it's something that's, uh, that's, that's eternal. As for future civilization, it seems like a lot of this is created through the arts that we predict today. It's kind of like 19 science fiction, where a lot of the kind of American Waspian class were talking about technology of the potential future and what, and what to look out towards. And then science fiction would kind of lead people towards that future, which becomes today. It feels like from a Eurasian perspective, especially from the influx of anime and video games and whatnot, and maybe I would even say, furthermore, the technological advancement of China, Japan, Korea, it seems like a lot of that becomes almost that the setting of World War Three is between the old Western world and the uh, Eastern world. And then you have, in combination, a, a fusion between the two. And it seems like what is humanity seems to be more of these dreams that people are having of the future. It's important to uh, define like what things like art and symbols are. And so when we're talking about, uh, like, say, a science fiction book, that's a series, that's a, that's a complex symbol because it is a series of simple symbols arranged in a certain way to create like a moving, a moving picture through, uh, through letters. And so if we think about what a symbol is, um, a symbol is sort of like a placeholder or a pillar um, to, uh, to, to hold the uh, mental influence that somebody is projecting through society. And so a symbol is sort of like a container of uh, mental influence through which uh, that influence radiates from one beam or archetypal force through and into society. And so when we look at the, um, the, the power of the arts to sort of guide the becoming, the becoming of society, because time sort of flows through symbols and then like out the other end. If you think, if you think about it, uh, like, like time, like the, like time sort of flowers through the symbols and arts that, that we create. Um, so yes, Eurasian like futurism, it's, it's, it's an artistic movement, but that doesn't mean that the people involved with it necessarily have to be good artists. They can be like, uh, they can be good artists. They can be very good artists, but they can also be very simplistic too, because something like a simple meme has a lot of, uh, force in the world. And we know about this because of, um, the slogan politics that are in China, like where they use, they rely a lot on simple slogans. And the uh, power of a slogan is the fact that it's so simple, it allows easy repetition, which which can be very powerful. So things like, so yes, it's primarily an artistic thing, and it's it's fundamentally a, a rejection of certain norms found within Western culture. And so when we think about a civilization, a civilization is a commonwealth, um, a, a wealth that people share in common. And one of the most important uh, 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 forms of wealth is, is mutual res- respect, like the mutual empowering of like each other's ego. And so um, Eurasian futurism, it sort of ties into the human potential movement, which was sort of spearheaded in California, because uh, mutual respect is like the foundation to uh, exploring like the fullness of potential of the human mind and human spirit. And this also ties into things like interplanetary travel and stuff. But that's, you know, that's, that's, that's way further down the road. For now, it's just sort of people being empowered in their own personal domains, in their own like neighborhoods and stuff like that. 
Humberto Eco talked about signs, especially where he used it as an avocation of the intelligent versus stupid. And he was more on the edge that there could be good signs and bad signs. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to get into a conversation about ethics per se, but I feel like um, a lot of in the runes or signs and some of what you actually uh, text on Twitter, right on Twitter, is about these kind of uh, kind of collage art play between the pagan and the futuristic, especially with, I would say, the subgenre of anime realism, which is a part of your Asian futurism. And I would say those would say, like a Murto Echo would say, oh, that's a kind of fascism. How would you uh, retort or criticize kind of the, the liberal that may find that Eurasian futurism could be this kind of uh, status project or totalitarian ideal of sorts? Well, I would need to hear like a little bit more about their criticism to respond in a way that would uh, fully honor the concern. But when I hear stuff like that, like my general, the general vibe I get from it is like the sort of idea that like people think that like Jap- Japan is like a fascist society because they're like somewhat clean or something like that and don't like have like a lot of litter strewn over the, over their streets. And so, I mean, it's hard for me to take um, take like accusations of like fascism like seriously from certain contexts because I've just been expo- like I've just seen those sorts of accusations given in very irresponsible ways and so is there is there more to like the context that would allow like a, maybe a better response um, well, I'm coming from Roberto Echo's ideal of if you watch uh, anything of Umberto Echo's and signs or basically his anti-fascist rants Echo is usually arguing that fascism is driven through this kind of mythology of the past and people only like things culturally speaking and rather there are good values and there's bad values and to I guess a liberal point of view you always have to be kind of this uh, Christian self-cleansing individual who can't go down the bad path and so what you were talking about before between signs it reminds me of some when uh, some of the work Umberto Eco writes about signs but he obviously came from the liberal point of view by saying well, you know, if I see a swastika, it isn't so much a Buddhist thing. It's now reappropriated by the Nazis. And I guess that means genocide. And there's no way going back down that road point, even though today Korean Buddhists still use swastikas. Well, there's a, like symbols are sort of like any other sort of territory. And so different groups can sort of compete for influence over symbols. And so what sort of entity um, has their mental influence projected through a symbol depends on what meaning is ascribed and accepted of the symbol. And so when we see a, a, a Buddhist swastika, we, we, we feel the influence of the Buddhist ideology that is upheld by, by, by people who, who participate in that ideology. And so it's, it's sort of like a way to, to bind those sorts of people together. And, and so, um, and, and like, I guess this Roberto Echo was his name. Like he, it seems like he's sort of equating like a fetishization for pasts of, for symbols of the past with some sort of fascist thing but from a Eurasian futurism perspective, um, symbols are ultimately viewed as um, part of kinetic processes that happen in the present and that also play a role in unfolding present realities and potentials. And so that doesn't really have to do with any sort of like excessive nostalgia for the past although that's not there's nothing wrong with being nostalgic for the past either um it's it's about navigating the the present reality and the 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 actors within the present reality uh in a way that makes sense and so Eurasian futurism has nothing to do with um it has nothing to do with being like anti anti anybody it's like whatever 
uh, type of person is around you and whatever domain you happen to exist in. It's all about utilizing that to your benefit and going to places that are good, but not only to your benefit, but also uh, performing our duty as, as citizens, you know, because if you read the song of Roland, um, the definition of love in, in, in that medieval work, it, love is um, an active pledging of loyalty to somebody. So if you love somebody or you express it, that's sort of like binding yourself to a set of actions to help their well-being. And so when you deprive somebody of love, you're saying that, well, I'm not going to help you anymore. I'm not going to be loyal to you anymore. I'm not going to protect you anymore. And so love um, implies uh, protecting each other and protecting each other's status. And this this relates to um, Eurasian futurism because this definition of love corresponds to the Confucian um, concept of right. Uh, where rights are uh, social customs designed to uh, increase the power, uh, respect, and prestige of uh, members of society. And so it's uh, so that we can exist as mutually um, empowered individuals. And the way that this intersects with sort of like the Western component um, is that these sorts of uh, uh, entities can be explored and, um, and and so on through a lot of these Western philosophical traditions. And so it is a combining of sort of Western and Eastern philosophy. And when we're talking about the Western uh, philosophical traditions, there's a lot of um, uh, contributions there from like all sorts of people, you know, so it's not only uh, people of all sorts of ethnicities and stuff like that. So I'm not, uh, identifying the West as necessarily an ethnic construct, just because it's you know it's not appropriate to the modern time, and it's just not a, not pragmatic. So it's 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 a multiracial sort of thing that we're talking about. But race is not explicit at all. There's no sort of forced um, position on on race. It's race is very much in the background, and it's not really focused on. There's a lot of uh, Eurasian themes in the work of William Gibson. Especially after Neuromancer in his uh, Bridge trilogy, he describes a, um, I don't know if you want to call it a dystopia San Francisco, but especially in the second book, Idru, um, he refers to kind of this society where young people can uh, get eye transplants so their eyes look like they're living anime characters and have anywhere from blue to pink hair. This was written in 1996. And then I guess somehow the Bay Bridge in San Francisco is also this internal working class hub of sorts where everyone has like a Uber job on hover bikes and everyone seemingly half Japanese. Yet, as, as you were talking about that multiracialism there, it seems like there's also this fine line between you have the multiracialism, but you also have a predominant um, Asian cultural undertone, which we call Eurasianism, because it kind of is the mix of the Eurocentric sensibilities with a mainly Asian uh, outlook of life. Well, you do have other groups that are doing, are influencing this somehow. And I, I think the work of William Gibson, he pretty much has described this in at least six of his books from both Neuromancer and the Bridge Trilogy. Have you any, have it, uh, do you have any opinions on the work of William Gibson? I can only comment on what I've just heard. And I just like want to reiterate that um, the only reason I mentioned the whole racial issue is because in the West, we're pretty much in a post-racial uh, situation. I just, and I was just uh, essentially clarifying that for uh, uh, branding purposes and uh, making sure the ideology is, is, is um, clean and, and survivable. So, but as, as far as um, you, you describing like like the like the sort of uh, picture that you painted there of the Asian undertones, et cetera. No, that that that's yeah, that that's very good and that's absolutely right. And I think that um, with these sort of like technological enhancements you're talking about, uh, it seems like it's it's 
an issue of caveat emptor, like buyer beware. I mean, I think there may be some um, like benefit to these things, but people just got to be careful. And I think it's 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 a it's it's a buyer's market, you know. And I do think that when you talk about Eurasian futurism, you're going to have a lot of important technological advancements, and then part of navigating that is is discussing the ethics of it and the preferences that people may have with regards to it. And uh, th those are important issues too, but, but um, you know, high technology is certainly a part of Eurasian futurism. As a digression, it feels like a lot of this, I'm just saying has been discussed in William Gibson, who was like one of the last science fiction writers and then as you're envisioning this, as I said before, it kind of becomes projected into the future. I just wanted to pick up when you talked about space travel, where does space travel uh, lead into Eurasian futurism? Because I think about space travel sometimes, but in context, I'm not so sure if that's a connection to the past or the future, or if maybe time paradoxes exist in uh, space traveling. Well, it's, it's, it's both because um, if you keep an ancestor shrine, the uh, the basic of it is that you're sort of like preserving like the souls of your ancestors through veneration of them. Uh, that's that's sort of like one of the theories behind it. And so naturally, if that's like your thing, you would want to create space travel to have an immortal lineage so that like your ancestors can be honored like for eternity. And so like a generational ship of sorts that's always flying in the sky until it gets to its destination. Yeah, and, and like, and plus, you know, just just so that uh, humans can be like an immortal species and stuff. So it's 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 related to like to stuff like that. Um, it's 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 an outgrowth of the ethic of ancestor veneration. And part of the reason why uh, this is like this is focused in Eurasian futurism is because um, the reason it's focused on Eurasian futurism. It is because uh, there's at the moment there's ostensibly a higher level of pragmatism in East Asian societies in terms of looking at problems and finding practical solutions to them, and that's like a very important way of organizing society and moving forward. Um, because if 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 issues are approached in a way that's too sentimental. And being sentimental is obviously important. And obviously East Asian societies have a high degree of sentimentality. But I've just found that uh, with, the, with the way that things have developed uh, in the United States in particular, I mean, it's almost like there's too much of a, a focus on sentimentality that can maybe disrupt uh, practical ways of going forward. There needs to be like a healthy... Uh, healthy balance there and which is which which i think exists in a lot of east asian societies transhumanism by some part of say a political left sphere or even a post-left would tend to think transhumanism is nothing more than the action to leave the human body and to live forever and this living forever um, doesn't exclude hedonism where you could basically possibly live forever and never plug out of the matrix kind of just be a, a hedonist of sorts and never give up on exiting life like a, a jack of working kind of euthanasia um this is kind of taking it three steps ahead but if you if you uh interrogate some of the advanced uh leftist hardcore thinkers the theories aren't so much about egalitarianism per se or against social hierarchy but about living forever in transhumanist state when you're talking about a transhumanism that seems to be uh, ancestor worship that could be in contradiction to these kind of leftist transhumanists. How, how, what would you rebuttal or criticize and say about those who wish to be transhumanists because they hate themselves and want to be uh, immortal gods? Well, I mean, if you're an immortal god, then you can venerate your ancestors forever. And so that allows for like the eternal ancestor veneration too. Um and there's like multiple ways of like defining technology. I, I mean, so some people are exploring ideas of linking the human body to like machine technology 
to try to live forever. But then in some sort of like Hindu modalities, they believe that you can like keep the physical body alive forever through like saying the correct uh, mantras or affirmations. And so, I mean, I do believe that we create our reality with like the words that we speak. And so, I mean, I just think that like, you know, affirming the health and rejuvenation of our bodies can keep us um, alive forever. And I, and I do think that uh, it's important for people to have uh, like chambers of prayer uh, within their house where they conduct uh, rituals in order to attract the circumstances that they want to have in their lives through direct affirmation of it and repetition of it to sort of uh, construct the synchronicity through which a person's life unfolds, which is, and, and, and w of which the arts is an expression of. And so I, I do believe that these sorts of verbal practices definitely tie into high technology and explorations with regards to, to those sorts of things. I, I think they both sort of go hand in hand. And if you look at um, like anime, anime is essentially like a high magic. If you think about it, it's, it's, it's a high magic in terms of people manifesting what they wish to become and what they'd like to see and investing energy into it. And there's many uh, ways of experiencing technology, many modalities of it. And it's important to for these different modalities to have mutual um, respect with each other and for people to move forward uh, in, in ways that are, are good for them as individual people. Um, and, and in many ways, Eurasian futurism is sort of the realization of what it means to be an American, like just a, a basic person with dignity, uh, exploring basic things and then moving forward together with people in a way that makes sense. How do you, or what do you think about anime girls in particular that in women in reality are emulating and becoming anime girls? It feels like that a lot of American women in particular know what beauty is. And it isn't like a 1950s pinup girl or Betty Page. It seems to be this cultural shift into like that the cartoon, the anime girl becomes the reality as if now if transhumanist technology would get there or like in William Gibson's Iteru, um, you would become the anime girl. And so how do you see anime becoming the new sexual standard? Well, the uh, the drawing of anime figures and then investing intention uh, attention into them is, is a process of manifestation, and so in magical theory, uh, you, you would say that's like a form of a form of magic because you're creating an image of, of something which is the expression of a, of a wish fulfillment. And then you gather energy to be invested into that image. And then through that process of investment of energy into that image, people uh, explore different ways of actualizing it. And so you have a lot of uh, women doing uh, costume play uh, dressed up as, as, as anime girls and um, getting into moderate gym culture to stay in shape and getting into the fashion and and everything else that goes along with it. And so it's a, it's a form of magic that people are doing. And, and uh, anime is, is a very uh, high form of form of magic because all, all the, when I say magic, I mean the construction of art, investing attention into it, which is like a, a form of energy or currency, and then uh, that that being actualized into people's lives subsequent to the investment of energy into it. And so this is why it's very important to blend um, ancient 
and modern and futuristic concepts together because it allows us to understand art in, in, a, in a dimension that relates to, to the manifestation of, of will, to, to the imposition of will in and upon the world. Where do men have this place in the anime realist canon? It seems like everybody's sexual drive is towards, like you say, magic and wind becoming the fashion, the cosplay, the gym, whatever. Where do men fit in this all? Are men being affected by this kind of anime energy of sorts? Well, I think that like men, I mean, there's also a space for men to explore, uh, explore their own beauty and things like that. And there's also a place for men to explore um, levels of satisfaction, like within, within experience. And so like within a lot of like anime figures, you have characters exploring exploring depths of feeling and thought within like little like details of life. And so it's it redefines power, not necessarily exclusively as something internal, but it adds an internal dimension to it which I think is, is very helpful to people, uh, especially people in, in, in an American context, because, you know, people have often said that the United States government is like a superpower. It's like, what do you mean by that? Well, you just mean that they're like transporting physical bodies into like foreign lands. and They're just like walking around, maintaining a presence. And that's kind of cool. And it's like traveling and being places and being in places is good, but that's not the be all and end all. I mean, there's also the aspect of, of feeling while you're in a place, which, which, which anime explores, but it doesn't explore in a gratuitous or excessive way. It's just like it explores it in a normal way of being. And this is obviously for women as well, not just men, but yeah. I like that. It's like um, the way I see it, I always thought that, you know, many people who doubted Eurasian futurism, especially from agitators in, in white nationalism, they tend to think Eurasian futurism means the transfer and control of China on the rest of the world. And I think that's kind of a misnomer in many ways, because it's not specifically about China or Asian control. It seems like the ideological assumptions from white nationalists tend to think that there can only be two races, admixture European people versus separate solid groups of Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, whatever, you know. And it feels like ultimately that there was never uh, a semantics or um, cultural understanding of between uh, that you would be mixed between uh, admixture European and Asian now, that isn't to say there is admixture European or, or Asian people, which there are some to extent in America, but in most of the time, if you were to find that, it would be Eurasian. If anything, within identity politics, uh, there's never been an understanding of the third position. It seems like if there was an ad, a Eurasian, they would be uh, suicidal like Elliot Rogers or something. And that's kind of been the uh, cultural mishap what would you say to that kind of harsh criticism those on the the far right of race realism now what specifically like that's a little bit like that's that's quite a bit to take in but to help like focus so when you say they're harsh criticism now what specifically is is the harsh criticism just in a couple words so i can so i can help that can help me put the rest of the things you said into context. So I they, can... they, they feel like Eurasian people, those who are mixed, don't have an identity politic and doomed to failure. Okay, this doesn't make sense to me because if you look at so-called like white people, they're like pretty much um, like a mixed race anyways because you have like a lot of different uh, European um, ethnic groups who just sort of like blended together with like different eye colors, hair colors, skin colors, skin tones, and and things like that. And so the idea that they're somehow 
more unified or more pure than anybody else, it doesn't really um, make any sense to me. And so the question of like, where does, like, like how, like, like it doesn't like what they're saying doesn't make sense relative to anything because the claim that somebody is like a Euro Asian mix in like in a biological sense, the idea that that doesn't, that that identity is somehow less pure than a European identity, but a European identity wasn't pure to begin with. And so when we're talking about um, culture and exploration of cultures and things of that nature, uh, that seems to be the essence of, of identity because people focus on cultural forms that they're drawn to and that becomes uh, what fills their mind or what their mind fills. And so I'm not really understanding um, this, this, this emphasis on biology too much, except for the fact that people of certain uh, uh, biological uh, compositions may find themselves more drawn to certain cultures than, say, other people. But, but, but um, I hope that's that answers. I, I just don't understand the whole basis of the criticism or anything to begin with, because uh, Europeans are, are largely mixed anyways. So I don't I don't get it. For example, there's many on the far right or racialist right that assume that um, I'll use this. There's a meme of political balls. It's kind of shows ideology through these funny cartoony balls like that guy is anarcho-capitalist. That's homo nationalist, whatever. Uh, there's one particular uh, political comp ball I found on the wiki, and it was called "quote unquote" degenerate nationalist. And basically, uh, a degenerate nationalist is somebody who has all these um, left wing values, egalitarian values. You know, I'm super liberal, libertarian, free, do whatever you want. However, you must keep the white race, as you were saying, uh, pure. But that's a little hypocritical because in context to uh, Eurasian futurism, this would mean this kind of colonial state where you still have, you know, I, I used to call it back in 2017, weep nationalism, where you have white and white male and white female, you know, believing in all the liberal politics, but becoming Eurasian without any influence from China, Japan and Korea, but rather they're taking in their products and consuming in. Because that would hence define the uh, political comp ball of degenerate nationalism. And so what you're getting at, I'm just kind of going back at some of these critics, that there is a very small faction that, you know, even either way, it seems like Eurasian uh, futurism has an influence on this far right faction. But the only thing they stop is with regards to uh you know their own whites how, how would you how, how would you think about that between i would say it's a form of eurasian futurism and influence but the only stubborn part as like within degenerate nationalism seems to be their uh, there's their irrational hatred for anything asian but they want to consume in the products and think it's theirs because you do have a weird faction that assumes anime is white or something well i would i would tie this into um people during medieval times uh, adopting like a lot of like the prayer uh like uh used a lot of the talismans that were produced uh by the catholic church but they weren't the ones producing the talismans and so the people who are actually making the talent like the people who are actually making like the Catholic talismans that these people sort of co-opted as their own were put into like these monasteries and separated from the rest of the population. But then the rest of the population tried to claim that, that the talismans were a reflection of them, but when they were really a reflection of the people. And so it was like, uh, who, who were sort of being shunned and shut apart from society. And so they're trying to take credit for something that, they didn't do like they, they like a lot of these people they weren't the ones like inventing these like catholic prayers or making the talismans like all the people who are doing this were um so it sort of like reminds me a little bit of that because they're uh trying to like imbibe and identify with uh with these like east asian produced things 
which 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 I would effectively identify as like sort of like a modern form of uh, uh, talisman making, but then wanting to separate themselves from it, which I mean, I don't really have a problem with people having personal preferences in terms of who they date, but I don't really think that's a political thing. Like if, if somebody uh, like, like there's, there's some uh, white, white, like let's just say white, like white males, like there's some white males who, who have a preference for uh, white females or some who have a preference for East Asian females. There's some who have a preference for Hispanic women, uh, black women, et cetera. And so if somebody has a personal preference in who they date, I don't think that's an issue, but I don't really see the whole point and making it into this like political thing where they're saying, Oh, like the races have to be kept pure or whatever. Like, I mean, I, I do think that ethnic groups will just have a certain level of purity, like naturally, if you just don't pay attention to it, and then there'll be a certain degree of, of mixing too. like things just sort of evolve naturally. You don't really need to focus on it or make it into a thing. And the problem with, uh making this stuff into things like into political things is it distracts attention and energy away from actual culturally productive um activities and investment into like like investment into like actually making art or 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 achieving in in anything like what like um so i i just think that this whole like this racial focus like you said it seems to be a symptom of mental laziness where people would rather focus on that than like getting a hobby basically just to put it simply if you were to tell an average uh individual or called normie about your asian futurism i think they would be baffled as you said before the word eurasianism is actually um kind of uh already rent, rented out by Alexander Dudekin to refer to his Russian movement and less about between East meets West, unfortunately, even though it has the same words. And it's I've been trying to, you know, go through those loops to make sure. I once had a, a friend or an individual tell me, uh, I didn't know you were not talking about Alexander Dugan. And it seems, uh, how would you approach someone completely new to Eurasian futurism and tell the specific points of exactly uh, what is happening culturally-wise, artistic-wise, and why does it matter? Well, first of all, I would say that adding futurism to the end of Eurasian helps distinguish it from uh, what Dugan is doing, uh, which, which, but, but yeah, again, some people might be, you know, getting get, get mixed up and think it's, but that, so first of all, I think it's important to, use the term futurism because futurism helps identify it as an artistic movement, but not an artistic movement necessarily because when you call something an artistic movement, it can create too much of a sense of exclusivity. And so more, more along the lines of, of a cultural, cultural movement, but obviously artistic too. And so when we're talking about cultural movements, in in the modern setting, like a lot of this is communicated uh, by memes, by by memetics, and so it's really focused on 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 memes. And so, I would say at root, it is simply uh, um, it, it's it's not only is it a blending of of Eastern and Western culture, but it it's a conscious uh, rejection of of some of the hegemonic tendencies in, in in Western culture, and it's a reclaiming of of one's own humanity, basically. I like that. The way I describe it, I've been more on a um, I've been I've been more critical in recent uh, years about subculture, as I was in graduate school and I read Dick Hebdige's pamphlet on subculture, where he was taking a, a Marxist or an anti-capitalist point of view about what subculture is. However, as you were saying with memes before, you can literally craft anything you desire now. And it seems like the internet is a, a way that you can shop for the most uh, niche music genres, uh, political ideologies. If I was talking about degenerate nationalism before. That's the entire point of the political comp ball memes is to commodify niche um 
political ideologies in itself as kind of a consumer brand. Subculture in many ways works, but also subculture divides. It's fun to pick and choose music and aesthetics and ideals to think about and make it out of thin air. But at the same time, people are not being sincere. Uh, people are being ironic. People think kind of like in the e-girl trope that one day they'll role play as a mall goth and next they say they're a vaporwave queen just to get some followers. What would you say between those who want to be sincere and those who want to be ironic? And does this uh, benefit anything in cause or a new artistic movement and thinking? Well, when you get into like magical theories, like there's no real difference between sincerity and being ironic because both have essentially the same effect in terms of uh, manifestation potential. And so what would really differentiate the two is is the dedication to the dissemination of a meme over time. And so I guess you would say that the people who are more ironic, uh, they would be repeating a meme on, on a more temporary basis. But that would be like the only differentiation in terms of like magical theory. But what would like, but what is the place of, I, I don't like, some people can get, like angry at those who are just sort of like ironic and, and and be very serious about it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I, I do believe that people who do things in an ironic sense, uh, I, I do believe that they have a place. And there there is like a such thing as as taking things like too seriously because like when we get into things like culture and like manifesting who we are on an ethnic level, it's not supposed to be serious and it's not supposed to be like this like titanic uh, sort of struggle. It's more just like a fashion and an expression of who we are as people. It's supposed to be light and easy. And so any contradiction between serious and ironic I, I think that might come from people who mistakenly view cultural movements as these almost like apocalyptic struggles. And so when you get into people who have that sort of problem, that's when you get like these sort of conflagrations that are happening in like Russia, Ukraine, where a lot of the participants have like compared uh, 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 the events there to the, to the final acts in like Lord of the Rings, where it's like a like a final battle between this group and that group, and it's like, well, the, that's where that like that's where apocalyptic thinking leads people, and so I think it's important for everybody to keep their feet on the ground and be serious about things, but not take things too seriously. And so there, there, there definitely should be a synthesis between uh, an ironic perspective and a, and a serious perspective, right. Because when you are actually sincere about your Asian futurism, some people think you're just telling a joke. Uh, there's there's no way you're serious about this, right? Right? And then you are. I think when you write a book or when you write a few articles and explain yourself in clear matter, that's when people start to understand you're sincere. And either people greet you with sincere conversation and understand exist, or they become hostile and they think it's a joke or they become ballistic themselves is because you break their own reality, knowing that, um, you know, dark can f be found in the light. So I think in what, in my own personal uh, experience, when talking about my own art projects to fellow people and about Eurasianism, you know, Eurasianism and having a conversation, even by saying, Hey, listen, lots of what's happening in the current uh, zeitgeist of the United States of America is falling apart, but people are finding the good life through uh, this kind of Asian meets West type of infusion between culture and settings. And we are definitely losing the 1950s white America ideal and moving to that, that good life seems to be mixed between the two. And it isn't so much a degenerate nationalist position, but people just being plain ignorant that video games have a huge effect on people's lives, that anime is pretty much everywhere most of the time. And that when people think uh, what is reality and what is a healthy being certainly isn't being the latest hedonistic transhumanist, as I was explaining before, 
but becoming, like you said, this magical Eurasian futurist ideal of the anime girl being projected into reality. Well, this, this relates to the concept of, of pneuma. And pneuma is a Latin word. It means both breath and, and spirit, but it also refers to where um, a level of investment of importance into things. And so when people, like you said, some people are attached to some sort of 50s ideal of things, that's because they have invested a lot of pneuma into a, a social setting being a certain way in order for them to have a, a level of fulfillment. And so when people are exploring these like anime futurism or whatever you want to call it, Eurasian futurism, anime futurism, anime realism, uh, their pneuma is, is invested into uh, other cultural constructs, which, which um, transports them to, to different modes of pleasure. And so when we talk about these philosophical, ideological things, uh, we're constructing modes of pleasure uh, to, to exist in with others uh, to help us go forward in the world in a way that both secures our safety and survival, but also, but also our well-being and comfort. Right. Um, is there any future projects that you're working on or that you would like to uh, further elaborate to the public that, uh, that has something to do with Eurasian futurism or something completely different? I'm studying um, Anglo-Saxon grammar and I'm linking it to uh, Taoist statue, statue magic, and then connecting that to anime and so that's the project that i'm working on um on right now and so when i'm talking about uh anglo-saxon uh grammar what i mean is is that uh in anglo-saxon which is like the old old form of english the word uh herian h-e-r-i-a-n means to praise Herion. And this is cognate with the word to hire, which is hyra, H-Y-R-A, hyra, herion. And so this is uh, related to sort of like ancient uh, pagan practices because the concept, uh, the underlying concept here where uh, to praise and to hire are, are linked is because in sort of like uh, Anglo-Saxon idolatry they would construct an idol and offer the idol uh praise and so so on and so forth uh as a means of, of hiring the god of the idol to attend to uh whatever petitions they may have and this of course relates to what i was talking about earlier with the investment of, of numa into things and so the person who who, who talks about this in, in detail is um is a youtube guy from canada originally from china and the, the his youtube is tin yet dragon and he talks about uh taoist rituals and he talks about how um like a taoist will have an altar with different idols and uh the idols are are offered veneration uh and as such, they become extensions of the powers of the mind of the person who uh, who venerates them. And so when you think about that and connect them all, you get into like the whole concept of like anime figurines, you know, people uh, venerating like the figures of, of anime women for the, for the purposes of um, their own, you know, like pleasure, psychological, otherwise, and their manifestation into uh, like women adopting those sorts of trends in, in cosplay, et cetera. And so 
when you can like all, all of those things end up um becoming connected and, and it's it's very important to explore who we are as people and so when we do that it's sort of like a redefining of masculinity away from something like like on, on a military level and it's towards uh redefining masculinity as maintaining ideological spaces maintaining uh spaces in art and maintaining attention to things um it's, it's maintaining attention and artistic things and maintaining repetition of of slogan and so like who we are as, as men becomes enforcing and maintaining artistic realities it feels like mimetic desire or mimesis is a huge part of someone's sexual drive that if young boys find a certain anime girl on a Gelbaru uh, image search and they're very specific with brown or blue hair, that kind of ideal, that kind of character, like you said, they manifest that into reality or that girls look at these idols that they want to become and thus become it that it's it's a role model in a way Jesus Christ is a role model to people for people becoming good Christians. The same way you can look at anime girls or anime itself as the idealized good life that's being offered more than what is happening right now in reality and all of it is pretty much plausible through the technology we're creating. It's sort of like Aikido because Aikido in, in Aikido um, it's using the force of the opponent against the opponent or it's like it's it's a form of like adapt adapting to the world in order to um in order to manifest like the highest potential uh, uh within the world and so rather than investing energy into like doom and gloom things too much i mean there's nothing like lamentation is an important part of manifestation, but um, but anime realism it doesn't make lamentation like the fullness of one's reality. It makes lamentation a process of pushing away and shunning what you want to move away from towards what you want to move into, and so it's a recognition that there are good things to be had right here, right now, and using art as a means of exploring that and, and memes and mimesis. And of course, you said this relates to sexual drive, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why I would say it's a sublimation of, of instincts that, that, you know, it's, it's a sublimation of, of sort of warrior instincts into the artistic sphere because, um, it's 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 a process of actualization of desire uh at the expense of what we don't desire and so it's an act of, it's it's a process of choosing and self actualization patrick where can people find you on social media and other websites you can find me on twitter at durandall23 D-U-R-E-N-D-A-L-23 at Twitter. But I would also advise people to check out a YouTube um, called Tin Yat Dragon. Now, this isn't me, but Tin Yat Dragon is T-I-N space Y-A-T space dragon. Tin Yet Dragon. Look that up on YouTube, and there you can find about Taoist statue magic. And this can um, help people understand the sort of like occult origins of anime. And when I use the word occult, I don't mean it's contrary to uh, Christianity or any Abrahamic religion, um, but it just helps understand like an archaic science to it an archaic science but yeah tiniat dragon is good to check out and if you want to follow me on twitter 
that's where you, where people can go. Patrick, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Love you, man. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by pilleater.substack.com, youtube.com slash pilleater, and as well as other associate links.